This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at cosmicpotatonetwork.com. Hi, this is Shane. And this is Virginia. And this is Wait You've Never Seen, a podcast dedicated to discussing well-known movies and TV shows that one of us has never seen. And today we're discussing Wait You've Never Seen, The Phantom of the Opera? (laughs) And today we're joined by special guest Rick. How are you today, sir? Sing for me! Oh, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Felt it. So demanding. <laughs> uh, I'm groovy, thanks. How are y'all? Not too bad. Doing okay. Before we get started, I just wanted to say two things up front. Okay. We live in the in the land of Corona now. Everybody does. It's the thing that happens. Sure. So I want to talk about the Phantoms mask etiquette (laughs) this is a bad way to wear a mask do not wear your mask like the phantom you're gonna get covid if that happens i had this note that his mask would still get his viral load on me yes also having said that social distancing game on point that's true so (laughs) everyone's steering clear of that guy I'm just I've just wanted to make those two notes before before we get started and I tell all the bad things that are gonna happen <laughs> with the trigger warnings. Okay, so my friend Danielle on Facebook said this is basically Gaslight the Musical. <laughs> um the Phantom is very much a creeper. He locks Christine in her dressing room, he kidnaps her, he kills people, Can follows you say them. Grooming? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um right. He's a terrorist, too. Can we call him a terrorist? A little, yeah. yes. Um, he kills several people by strangulation and actually drops, I think, bu- uh, is it bouquet or bucket? I don't know. Anyway, drops his body out of the rafters in front of the entire Ooh. opera audience, yeah. so be prepared for that. Um, there's a peeping Tom scene at the very beginning, which is gross, but yeah. Um, and then there's... The, the gross age difference. Um, Emmy Rossum, Christine, in this movie, was 17, playing 16. Her love that. interest, Patrick Wilson, playing Raul, was 30. And Gerard Butler, playing the Phantom, was 34. And she has kissing scenes with both of them. Ugh. And I was, like, skeeved out every time that it happened. I'm like, she is a minor. But... That's all I was saying. Well, that's probably not all I would say about it. But that's all mm. I'll say about it for right now. I didn't Did realize that she was 17 at the time. That yes. Time. yes. That's horrible. So did y'all notice anything else before we get started? Well, I, I, I would like to just kind of point something out. You're not wrong in any of your any of your warnings there. But I think it, it it's 
just to be fair, this is based on a horror story. That's true. That's true. So a lot of that stuff is just because he's, you know, a monster. <laughs> well, so like, you know, spoilers, we're jumping ahead a little bit. But I did find at one point, I'm like, I really, I said, I said out loud, I believe, like, I really don't want this guy to be redeemed at the end of the story. <laughs> like, that would be the only way to really, to really ruin it. So having said that, segueing nicely, what were three things that you expected from this movie, Shane? Number one. An enormous organ. That's what she said. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wow. Anyway. Two, wall-to-wall singing and song. Okay. Uh, three, it's going to seem like gothic horror without being either gothic nor horror. Ah, okay. Okay. So, did you expect to like it or not like it? So, okay. So, look, I just... It's I had very low expectations. I don't love every musical I've ever seen. I tend to dislike musicals in general. 1.5 stars. Wow. Uh, there was this... That's disheartening. I grew up in Cleveland, and there was this theater specifically built for this show in Toronto. And they'd play this corny TV ad <laughs> with, with uh, candles in the shape of the mask. And the only line in the whole commercial was, by phantom, by phone. <laughs> With the music in the background. And I'm like, this seems so corny. <laughs> so it didn't make you want to run right over the phone and I, buy phantom? I did not buy phantom by phone or by any other means. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so, uh, you, oh, you said 1.5 stars. Yeah. What is your one-sentence TV guide summary? I'm dying to hear this. A very fancy ghoul haunts a famous opera house with music and ghoul stuff. Plus, he finds true love. Wow, I feel like you didn't even try. What? <laughs> you basically just said, there's a phantom in the opera and there's a love scene or something. He finds true love. Ghoul stuff. Ghoul oh, I'm sorry. Well, he was a human being and not a ghoul. I That's mean... true. That's true. <laughs> okay, well, let me tell you what IMDb had to say. Okay. So, The Phantom of the Opera came out in 2004. It's rated PG-13. It was two hours and 23 minutes. And it's a drama musical romance. And it says, A young soprano becomes the obsession of a disfigured and murderous musical genius who lives beneath the Paris Opera House. That's what I said. Mm -hmm. Sure. Can I tell you what I expected from this movie the first time I watched it? Yes. A phantom who could freaking sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, his is my least favorite voice of the whole, whole thing. Oh, goodness. You know, well, we'll get to that later, but... Okay. So, how did things meet or not meet your expectations, Shane? Well, I don't know how the the theatrical production was, but there there was an awful lot of singing and an awful lot of music in this. I think I mean, I don't know much about gothic horror, but I think I think it was pretty much on the it seemed like it was on the nose. So, has your opinion changed? Okay. So, I can only judge this again based on the movie. It's like um, the stage production is you probably superior to the movie version, just like the books right. are usually better. 
So I can only I can only judge it based on what I saw. Having said that, I love this. I I give it uh, 4.5 stars. Wow. I absolutely loved it. I'm so glad. Um that's quite that's quite a swing there. Yeah. So yay. Before we start talking about the singing. Okay. Um I did want to uh, say like Rick was saying earlier, this is based on Gaston Leroux. I think it's French. Leroux. Yes. Leroux. Nineteen book, The Phantom of the Opera. It was made into a nineteen twenty-five silent movie starring Lon Chaney. No way. And yeah. it was made into awesome. a nineteen forty-three movie starring Claude Rains. Um, I have not seen either of those movies. This was my first movie introduction to um, my first movie introduction to Phantom of the Opera. So this was your first introduction. I had seen this movie and a traveling Broadway show that came through Austin. And Rick, you were saying before we started recording, what was um, what has been your experience in seeing this? Okay, for, for those of you who, who don't know who I am, because <laughs> you know I'm that important. Um, I am a theatrical professional. I've been working in theater my whole life. Uh, and so uh, you cannot escape Phantom of the Opera any more than you can escape Hamilton or Cats. Um, so <laughs> I've known the music forever, uh, but I only just saw the stage show uh, a couple months ago because uh, for the, uh, for the, 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 during the quarantine, back at the beginning, uh, Andrew, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber... Excuse me. Uh, got some special dispensation to put some of his shows on, on TV, uh, streaming them for like the first time ever. Wow. Uh, unfortunately I missed the first, I missed it the first <clears throat> week and I didn't know about it. And it was Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which is a show I love. Uh, but I didn't get to see it. But the second weekend was phantom and I had never seen the stage show. Now I saw this movie when it came out, my, my wife and I, we saw it, uh, cause I know she's a big fan of it and she had, she, she, how many times had you seen the stage show? Four times. Okay. So we went to see it. Uh, and so the movie was my first introduction to the actual story other than the music. So I wasn't too looking forward to seeing the stage show. Cause I'll tell you straight up. I don't like this movie. You um, don't. I don't. I, I liked it a lot better this second time. Cause I, wa I watched it this week in preparation for this show. Cause it was like, it's not really fair to talk about a film I haven't seen in 16 years. Um, sure. I appreciate that. It's given the cast who are 90% awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, and the people behind it and, you know, visually it's stunning, but it's got two huge problems. The phantom. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Gerard Butler can't sing to save his life. Especially uh, when they had Hugh Jackman on the line and he just had a contract conflict. And could can you imagine Hugh Jackman in that role? Oh, I wouldn't know. I, I don't want that because I like Hugh Jackman and I don't want to see him playing a bad guy. Um, but uh, I've, uh, I've did some research and both the director, who's freaking Joel Schumacher, once I saw that, I was like, ah, that explains a lot. <laughs> um, and Andrew Batman Lloyd Webber. I said Batman Ruiner. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I didn't he just he just died a couple weeks ago, so oh. that doesn't really change my opinion of his work. All right. Um, but uh, they both were like, "Oh yeah, we love Butler's voice. It's like this rock and roll edgy thing." I'm like, "No, it isn't. You guys are just making excuses." <laughs> um, 
And then the other thing is, it just the pacing is so goddamn slow. I mean, it's two hours and twenty one minutes. I think the stage show is probably two hours with intermission. Um, no, it's it, three hours with intermission. Is it really? It really it sure is. is. It sure doesn't feel like it because this movie we had to watch it in two days because I couldn't. We got to the end of Act we One. Did oh, we did too. <laughs> and I was like, we got. I, let's finish this tomorrow. I just can't take it anymore. Um, you know, but I mean, I, like, I love Minnie Driver. Yeah, she was brilliant. Emma, Emma Emmy Rossum, who played Christine, was wonderful. Uh, even Raul is generally I don't like that character because he's usually so kind of smarmy. But I thought Patrick Wilson did a great job. Miranda Richardson was awesome. But just the movie just drags so much. And I don't know why when they when when they turn a stage play into a movie, they almost always slow the tempo of the songs down. And it drives me nuts. Um, and this was no exception. And, you know, the the pageantry was gorgeous. The visuals were amazing. Um, you know, but then but then there's just like there's no soul to it. It's just all kind of all flash and no feel like uh masquerade is like my one of my favorite numbers in the show and the stage show it's an amazing vibrant exciting ensemble piece and in the movie it was just like all right can we move on move on please yes the dude in the black and white mask can dance really well and nobody else can do as good as he so let's focus and and it was just like (laughs) "Mm, making me crazy Mm. sorry (laughs) no that's okay um oh also uh, one, one last thing real quick in the in the stage play that we saw, which was a it was a um, it was from the 25th anniversary, so it was a it was a special performance that was filmed. It was like over two nights, so they like kind of spliced together the best scenes from two different nights. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 creepy, I mean, the the story is is the same, but it was nowhere near as overt with the phantom like running his hands all over Christine and all like, the crap that was in the movie wasn't that blatant in the stage show. Yeah, that's when I was like, oh, God, the age difference. Oh, God, the age difference. This is not cool at all. The uh, Back to the singing for a second, that Gerard Butler only had four singing lessons prior to this role. Oh, jeez. This did is my shocked his... face. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, okay, maybe if he had singing lessons, he could sound good. But that doesn't necessarily mean his his singing type would be musical. Like, maybe his singing type would be rock and roll, and that's what he should stick with. Um, like, I could probably sing country fairly easily. I could probably not sing well Joan Jett very easily as much as I want to, because that's just the way my freaking voice works. I think with practice, he could sound semi-good. But... Not not for this at all. Um, Emmy Rossum began singing with the Metropolitan Opera's Children's Chorus at age seven. Patrick Wilson had previous Broadway experience. And Minnie Driver was actually dubbed for the opera performance. Um, but she sings Learn to Be Lonely, which is in the closing credits. Which, oh God, I love Minnie Driver so much yeah. in this role. She's great. I, I love her in everything I've ever seen her in. And and yeah, she just eats the scenery like crazy in this one. That's funny. Like I, I was like, oh, I hate this character. I'm like, that's Minnie Driver. Okay, I like her a little more. That's Minnie Driver. I like her, even though I just 
Absolutely. You know, that, uh, I mean, obviously that's the role. I'm mm-hmm. supposed to hate you. <laughs> well, when she leaves the first time, when she storms out the first time, and um, they bring in Christine to sing Think of Me, he's like, oh, God, I'm so glad that's the last we see of that character. And I'm like, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> Um, oh, I wrote this down because I knew that you, Shane, had asked about this. So the high note at the end of Phantom of the Opera is called, it's called an E6, which is more than two octaves higher than middle C. Oh. So like, if you're thinking Sound of Music, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Ti, Do, the first Do, it's like more than two octaves higher than that, which is... That's wild. Like, for the stage performance, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Rick, is they'll record it. They'll record the soprano singing that song Mm -hmm. with the high E, and the performer that night can decide, hey, my voice is up to it, or hey, my voice is not up to it, and has the option to lip sync to a recording as opposed to singing it herself. Because that, that high of a note is brutal on the vocal cords. That's not something I don't think you could do consistently for not for eight shows a week no no um, well i, we I hadn't talk heard to that mariah that carey surprise me. wait so, you both sorry, said what? something at sorry, the same what? time go ahead rick i i said i hadn't heard that but it wouldn't surprise me yeah mariah carey has that ridiculous ability to like you know to sing like i think rid- she can sing like eight octaves or something oh, ridiculous yeah. well it's like uh um um Oh, what's her? She sang Elsa. Um, oh, Il, uh, Azina, no. Adina Menzel. Adina Menzel. Yeah, the 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 year that that uh, that uh, um, Frozen was was you know at its peak, and uh, she she did the New Year's Rockin' Eve or you know one of the the New Year's freezing their asses <laughs> off at times in Times Square shows, and she couldn't quite get that last note. Mm-hmm. And people were giving her crap about it, and I was like, "You go out at eleven thirty at night in the freezing rain in Times Square, and do your best." Right. <laughs> you know? Cold air is terrible for singers. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I I have a few more things, but I want to hear what y'all think. So, as far as the visuals go, that opening shot was just so cool. Like the the there's the slow push in on. It was either a woodcut or a or an ink drawing. I wasn't exactly paying attention, and then all of a sudden, like little things start moving in it, and it slowly turns into live action. Oh right, uh huh. That was really well done. That's when I asked you what year it was because I couldn't get a I couldn't get a sense for what year it was mm-hmm. done. And I'm like, this must have been done like after they figured out a whole lot of like you know CGI stuff. It was and two, yeah, the, well, 2004. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's a good idea, Rick, to actually remember <laughs> to mention. <yeah. laughs> uh, the the move from uh, uh, black and white to color when they do the you know the main theme all huge and reveal the chandelier and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, so well done! And it was actually like I'm just sitting there going like, oh, here's the next thing up for auction. And it was honestly shot. <laughs> Lot six six six. I'm not I'm not like a super smart person, Rick. And I was like I was like really I was kind of shocked by that moment. I'm like, whoa! I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that 
opening, you know, the thing with the old uh, Raul and stuff is Weber does that. And I, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like, I, I, I don't think that that particular thing adds anything to the show, that it's all a flashback. And, and you know, they really leaned into that in the movie. It's nowhere near as pronounced in the play. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, it's, that's, that's something that Weber does. And he just kind of goes, all right. It's like uh, Evita, which is probably my favorite of Weber's shows because I've, I've done a couple of different productions of it. So it's got a, a, a kind of a sentimental uh, meaning for me. It has one of the worst endings of any play ever. Oh, because... no, no, no spoils. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I haven't seen. I, of course, I haven't seen that because. <laughs> well, I haven't anyway. seen the movie. I, I have no desire to see the movie because I, yeah. I love the play. And I've heard the movie just does a real hatchet job on it. Mm. Um, well, and also the fact that Madonna sings the song Another Suitcase in Another Hall. And if you know the, the show at all, having Ava Perone sing that song means they are completely missing the point of the show. Um, ah. And I, I won't I won't go into into detail. But the, the, the point I was making is that the play just stops. There's no there's no ending number. There's no real end to the to the action. It's mm-hmm. just well, okay. It's no spoiler to say that Ava Perone dies at the end of the mo- at the end of the play because what the Titanic sinks at the end. Damn it! <laughs> exactly. I mean, the the opening number is at her funeral, so it's not really a spoiler. Um, but like the last line of the pl- of the play is. Uh, and Ava Perone's body disappeared for 17 years. And that's it. There's no wow. what that means, what happened. It just so Weber just does weird shit <laughs> sometimes. Well, you know what? Maybe it's a little refreshing to be like, because it doesn't like every there's one of those musical conventions of like everyone drops character and goes to the front of the stage and just belts out the last, you know, the, yeah. the last song or, you know. Like that's that's the way that that's one of my critique. One of the things I one of the things I don't like about musicals is that they're they're there's almost like a formula that that I see like over and over. Yeah, that gets old. Oh, you're not wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I wanted to mention this: the like story wise. Story-wise, if you're going to have the balls to show me that there's characters that are definitely not going to die, even though I'm going to see them, you know, I'm going to see them in a flashback, you know, definitely in peril, but I know they're not going to die because you showed me them as old people. Like, you've now dug yourself into a hole that you have to dig yourself out of. Like, the Phantom is never going to kill Raul because we saw old Raul at the auction. So it better be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of the problem with the whole thing is the the menace of the Phantom. You know, at the beginning of the play of the movie, you know, he's he's operating from the shadows. He's he's killing people in the darkness. He's, you know, killing the drunken technician and dropping him from the catwalks and stuff. Mm. Um, that's all fine. But then in at the masquerade and he just walks into the middle of the room and there's like any number of guys that could jump him at that point and nobody I does. Right. I have that written down. Right. <laughs> uh, and then how he manages to, to overpower Raul. And I use that term in its broadest possible sense. 
<laughs> just kind of pushes him up against a, uh, you know, the 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 gate, and then all of a sudden the dude's tied to the thing. It's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Look, what I want to know is how if he's been living in. Well, first, I have a lot of questions about under the opera house and how that is all there, and he could just make his little secret underground lair. But if he's going to go out to the cemetery with Christine and he's lived underground his whole life, how does he know how to drive a carriage? That was My wife horses? was like, how does he know where the cemetery is? <laughs> <laughs> I just assume that, you know, he, he gets out every now and then. <laughs> yeah, and he has like a... He has a phantom phone with like GPS. It's like a magical <laughs> what? It's a ma- she's shaking her head, but it's a you know, he's a phantom. Shouldn't he have magical powers for God's sakes? That's the point. <laughs> of the th- is he's he's not he's not an, a figment of her imagination like everyone seems to think. He's a real person. That's what makes him more of a threat because he's real, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I you know I haven't read the book. Uh, I've seen the the original silent film, and I think I've seen at least some of the Claude Rains movie. Um, you know, the silent film you may not have ever seen it, but you've seen the famous scene where Christine pulls the pulls Lon Chaney's mask off. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know that clip is has been in music videos for ages, and, <laughs> and uh, you know that was. Uh, that that was famous one, you know, because it was, you know, one of the earliest horror films, but also Lon Chaney and then later his son, Lon Chaney Jr. were, you know, they were masters at makeup and it wasn't always like just, you know, prosthetic effects. Yeah, they used some, but it was nowhere near, you know, the state of what it is today. So you see the, the you know, what Lon Chaney did to his face. A lot of that was just, you know using tape to pull his nose up so it looked more skull-like and, and you know, taping his lips up so they, you know, he had this grimace. And, um, you know, it it was groundbreaking for the time, and it's still creepy as hell. But, you know, there was no, there was no attempts to make the Phantom sympathetic. And I kind of feel like Weber couldn't make up his mind whether he wanted the Phantom to be a monster or a sympathetic character, you know, kind of like the the Frankenstein story. And so it kind of just walks the line between the two, but never really goes far enough to either side to really stick the landing. Mm. Yeah. Well, that doesn't help with, like, Christine's role, too, because she's always going back and forth, like, hey, this man just kidnapped me, but I can't betray him, and here's my my engagement ring that I'm going to give to the dude that just tried to kill my fiance for some reason so that we can prove later in the movie that he's still alive when he leaves it on her gravestone. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't know. Well, I didn't remember it the first time I saw the movie, uh, but I really noticed it in the play. And then again, when I watched the movie again is how little agency Christine has on her own. She's just the prize that these two guys are fighting over. Right. Um, what other things do you have? Uh, that's about it. Rick, do you have other things? I, <laughs> I don't want to not recommend the movie because, you know, it's it's certainly really lavish. It's visually gorgeous. And like I said, you know, I, I, most of the people are doing a fantastic job in it. And I think I think Butler's doing as good a job as he could. 
it's it's just it's plotting and if you if you are a a fan of the stage production i fear you will be disappointed by the film however uh shane you liked it so uh you know obviously i am not speaking for everyone (laughs) well yeah i'm a sucker i'm a sucker for great visuals like like this could have been a silent movie and you know (laughs) in some respects it would have been better if it was just a silent movie but uh yeah it was uh it was gorgeous when i think like growing up in south texas where there's not a lot of access to theater at all the only musical productions we got to see were movie adaptations of broadway musicals so like if you don't have access to broadway or something like that then I would say that this movie is probably a good introduction. And then when you go see the stage play, you can see how much better it will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as adaptations go, this is pretty faithful. I'll give it that. Uh, you know, it's there. There are, a, you know, a few things that the creep factor is, is ramped up in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Well, she's older in the stage play, which I mean, he's still really? a creeper, but the, um, so this is set in 1870 in the movie, which makes her 16. In the stage play, she it's set in 1881, which would make her 11 years older, 27. Mm. Hmm. And that makes all the difference, I think, as far as the creepiness is concerned. Yeah, definitely. And also, um, the scene... Now, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my father died when I was 14, so movie and TV shows that deal with dead fathers generally hit me really hard. Mm. Um, the first time I saw the movie, I didn't even realize she was singing about her father. I didn't remember that scene at all. In the play, I was bawling my eyes out in that scene. Mm. In the movie, watching the movie again, I had to remind myself that that's what she was doing because it was so bloodless. You know, it wasn't until the very end of the song that they folk they zoomed in on the on the gravestone and it's a die. And also, I didn't remember. And you know, Virginia, you've 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 seen the play more re- well. In the movie, they really emphasized the Phantom was about to try to convince her he was her father a lot more than it seemed. Than I don't even know if they did that in the play. Oh. I actually haven't seen the play since I think I saw the play in the movie in the same year. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I remember. I don't remember that being equal between the between the two. Like I was surprised when I saw the movie, and it's like I don't remember that exactly. Yeah. And and then and then. <laughs> okay, this, this may be, sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but <laughs> you know they do that. You know, it's like, oh, God, the Phantom's going to pretend he's her father. And then Raul, Raul goes, he's not your father. And I'm like, make up your mind. <laughs> are you going to do it? Or are you and, and then have it pay off in some way? Or it, it was Pick just, yeah, it was just narratively stupid to, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with Raul going, dude, she's he's not your father. But to have him say that within seconds of that happening, it was like, you know, just if you're going to do that, just don't do it. If that's making any sense, I'm not sure if I'm making no, any no, sense. No, no, I get it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you if you do it, 
then there's a character arc that can happen yes while she's processing that and then told oh that's not true and then she's like okay you know i've had time to live with it and i've i've been rejecting it in my mind and now i can reject it in reality blah yeah yeah thank you you word well does, <laughs> does she think that the angel of music and the phantom of the opera are two different people then hmm because See, Otherwise, she would know at that point that the angel of music and the phantom are the same person. She wouldn't even think that the angel would be her father. And that's and that's when kind of the whole thing went off the rails at that point, because Christine stopped being an actual character and just started being a, a, a plot device. Because it was clear at the beginning that she knew who the angel of music was and that her father was speaking figuratively. Uh, and that, you know, the Phantom was her teacher and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now all of a sudden she's like, wait a minute, the angel of music is my dad. Wait, who, what, where? And then, you know, our, oh, silly girl. No. And it just. It yeah. Me. Well, let me ask this. What 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 is your favorite song from the movie? Shane, go. <laughs> you know what I like? This is probably no one's favorite song <laughs> in this movie. I like the song Notes. I felt like it was a tweet storm. <laughs> a tweet storm. <laughs> yeah, it was, there was just this screed of, you know, stuff. You're right. And it's a brilliant piece. And I, I again, it works so much better on stage, I think, than, than mm. in the movie. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of trite, but... Um, the whole, you know, the Phantom and the Opera song, the, the main song, um, you know, that's the one that's been stuck in my head for a week now. And uh, I really love the music. You know, uh, uh, Tim Rice really nails the music in, in the play and the, and the movie. Uh, and that's another reason why the movie bugs me is they took his music and just kind of altered it. And I just I don't know why movies do that. But, uh, you know, I, I, overall, the music is great. But just that, that, dun, 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 I mean, there's, you, you, you gotta love it. And then. Yeah, you know, if I may, Rick. It, of course. It, it's almost like, isn't that like the classic movie monster music from like, you know, the mm. first sound, you know, monster movies? Like, mm. no, well, it's almost okay. what I hear. The, uh, the, you know, the mood, the, the. The music that people associate with the Phantom, which is Bach's Toccata and Fugue in D minor, which is my all-time favorite piece of classical music also. Um, which, bit of trivia, Bach was a, a pipe organ repair man most of his life, and he wrote that piece to test the organs after he fixed them. Um, such, a, such a pragmatist, up, that really? one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's complicated as hell, and he wanted to make sure that the, the organs that he fixed you know, that he did, you know, were, could could take a beating. And so he wrote the hardest thing he could come up with. Um, and it really blows, it really blows the doors off. Yeah. And I think that it was the Claude, the, the 1940 whatever Claude Rains movie that had the Phantom playing that in his lair. And that's when that piece of music got inextricably connected to the Phantom. Mm. Uh, so Rice's Phantom theme or whatever they call it uh it it's evocative of that but it's not the same thing mm. but the thing i like most about that particular song or and duet is 
when you have a phantom who could sing. <laughs> wow, is... you're not gonna you're not gonna leave that alone. No, I'm not because it was... <laughs> okay. My my wife and I were talking about it after we finished watching the movie, and I was <laughs> Cecil Leia's I am what to do. Right. It was like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh God. How everybody was great in that movie except freaking Kevin Costner. And when your lead is the weak link, you've got a big problem. Or, or uh, you know, the only person I've seen in a musical movie who, who was worse than Gerard Butler was Russell Crowe in Les Mis. Oh, we, ha- I, we haven't seen that yet, have we? Uh, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should It's a very, very, very good movie, except for Russell Crowe. And it's a very, very painful slog. It does not have any of the charm of the of the stage play. I would not say you should watch it unless you are a fan of the of the piece already. Mm. Um, I've, I, you know, one of the, the one of the first Broadway musicals I saw was Les Mis. I saw it in in uh, in London actually, um, mm. and it was the first time I cried at a show. And that took me by surprise. And it was like, you know, I don't want anybody to see me crying, but it's, it's, there's a so infantine. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, and, and, you know, I've seen it a couple of different, I saw it, I saw it on, on Broadway as well. I'm not bragging. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time a couple of times. Uh, so I happened to see Les Mis twice in two different continents. But uh, Russell Crowe, I, I like Russell Crowe. I've always enjoyed him in shows yeah he's kind of a, a an soft stage apparently but you know he he's certainly no orson scott card so <laughs> you know uh so he, he gets in fights and and is a bit of a diva that's fine he just was terrible in lame is because he can't sing and you know he's he's the main bad guy in lame is he plays javert and he can't sing and that really puts a huge dent in the in the film and i think that gerard butler is a fine actor. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he tried his best, but the Phantom is supposed to be this musical genius who has taught this young girl to do far better than she ever should or could on her own, and yet he can't carry a tune in a bucket. It kills the whole thing for me. <laughs> Tom, what you think Tommy Mottola can sing? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight you on that. <laughs> That's not who? real. Tommy Mottola was uh, 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 Mariah Carey's, like, you know, phantom. <laughs> he, he was the producer of her album. Oh, oh, okay. You know a lot more about Mariah Carey than I do. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know more than I realized I did. How about that? Do you know, um, Rick, have you seen three, the 300, the movie? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots um, of bands. Gerard Butler <laughs> plays King Leonidas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Almost that's, unrecognizable. That's Sparta! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has a good voice for that. <laughs> <laughs> he can shout things, just don't shout songs at us. Yeah. Exactly. It, you know, it's. I, I, I honestly don't know if. if uh, Weber and and uh, uh, Schumacher were like making excuses, or if they really thought Butler was, you know, his voice was great for it. I just, if they if they were being sincere, I totally disagree with them on that. Um, but you know, that's a that's a choice they made. I know that, you know, with 
with movies, there's what you want to do, and then there's what the investors will pay for. Mm. So it may have been a matter of you don't have a single name in this movie except Minnie Driver, and she was popular ten years ago. Uh, get somebody in the title role, or we're not paying, we're not giving you the money for it. Um, I just I think that the choice of Butler as the Phantom was a mistake, and the movie suffered for it. So I will say I I'm gonna cheat and say I have two fate. Well, I like the. <laughs> I like the notes prima donna like segue and I think my favorite part of prima donna is when they get to the end and they all take the collective breath together <laughs> like we all know we're singing <laughs> we all know what's happening here there's lots of meta things happening in this whole <laughs> but I also love um the very end song that just like it's like a 15 minute song past the point of no return from when mm-hmm. they start singing in the play until the very end when they're like rowing off in the little boat or whatever the river sticks kind of situation which why the... is there a river under the opera anyway there's too many candles but go on <laughs> because the part the part where you shane were like there's too many people singing i can't tell what what you're saying yeah i don't know what this is <laughs> i love that part because it's like it's like there's some, it would be the same as if they were yelling at each other, like in a non-musical, like, you do this, no, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but doing it in song form, which is my language. Mm. Have you guys and seen Amadeus? Yes. A Loved long it. time ago. Okay. Sorry, carry on. Oh. Wait, is is that, it... should that go on our list? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've you all seen it, then it, it can't. But oh, oh you said you've seen it. A long the, time ago. Oh, oh. The reason I brought it up is because, you know, there's that scene in Amadeus where Mozart is talking about how you can do that in a in in an opera where you can have multiple people singing at the same time, and even though they're all singing at the same time, it's more the music of their voices layering on top of each other that's more important than the actual words, right? Than the contents, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting too because they were like singing different uh, different themes of the whole musical against each other in the big finale even though it wasn't a huge finale, like everybody singing, but like she was singing the angel of music tune and mm-hmm. the phantom was singing the past the point of no return. I can't remember which one Raul was singing, but I just, I like that kind of thing personally me. I think that a lot of the things, um, okay, let me, let me, let me put this the right way. Some plays translate well to movies Others need to be adapted. I thought that Chicago. Did y'all have you seen Chicago? The, the oh yeah, yeah. We watched okay. it last year. So good. Yeah, but it was not a direct translation of the play to a film. It was very much an adaptation of the stage play into what would work better as a movie, and I thought that was genius. Yes. Um, because there are some conventions you can do on stage that work before a live audience and on stage with the willing suspension of disbelief and all the, the things that go along with, you know, there's, there's a, there's an implicit contract between an audience and a, and a performance. And I love uh, the, the, uh, this is going to sound pretentious as, I'm sorry, this is my job. (laughs) Um, The, the, in Shakespeare's Henry V, Shakespeare's plays always opened with a, with a prologue where he was basically telling the audience, we're sorry, we suck just kind of cope with what you're about to see. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
he says, uh, you know, it is your thoughts that now must deck our kings. And so you can do things on stage before an audience that may seem that are they're less realistic, but fit in with what you're doing on stage. And the audience goes along with you. And it's all part of the experience of being there and watching a show. Um, but they don't always translate to the ultra realistic world of a, of a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem, the biggest problem with the, the Phantom of the Opera movie is they were too faithful to the source material. And it didn't translate as well onto the screen as it did on stage. And it ended up being plodding and melodramatic. Now, there were, there were moments that were brilliant. The notes scene is great. You know, like, like I said, I think the cast is wonderful. They all do a great job. But somewhere between performance and projection, something was lost. You know who wasn't in the note scene? The Phantom. <laughs> ah, maybe well, that's until why his was, letter. Yeah, that's why it was good. <laughs> oh man, that's a good song. Okay, do y'all want to guess if this passes or fails the Bechdel test? Oh, it doesn't even come close to passing. Are there there's women on stage together? Does that, does so that count? There's three main female characters. There's Christine, of course. There's her friend Meg. And then there's Meg's mom, Madame Giri. That's the old lady we see at the end at the auction. Okay. Played by Miranda um, Richardson, who I adore, but and she did a great job too. Miranda Oh, Miranda Richardson was Madame Giri. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um so <laughs> there was Christine... a there was, was it was it Merlin? There was, there was a, a a King Arthur mini series of uh several years ago where she played Queen Mab and she was just awesome. Yeah, what was that? I don't Merlin. remember. Was Merlin? Merlin was the only one that had Queen Up. Yeah, and that was Miranda Richardson. Oh. Um, so Christine talks to Meg, and Meg talks to her mom, but both conversations relate to the Phantom, so no dice. No. Um, so as for disability portrayal, I have a couple of things. Um... At the, at the auction, at the first scene, Raul is using a wheelchair. And I was pleasantly surprised to note that there was a ramp going into the opera house in 1919. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe that was war-related and, like, you have all of these veterans coming home that probably cannot use stairs anymore. And maybe that's what that was about. Maybe they knew he was coming. I don't know. It just really surprised me. <laughs> I think they needed to push the actor up, up into the oh. building, and so they had to build a ramp. Yeah. Probably. They had to build the set like ADA compliant, I think. <laughs> I'll just crush my little heart. <laughs> um, okay, I have a question for y'all. Does Raul think Christine is legit crazy? Because he's talking about her hearing voices and like when they go up to the rooftop, he's like, there is no Phantom of the Opera. And she's like, I saw him with my own two eyeballs. And he still doesn't believe her. So do y'all think that he thinks she's just crazy. I mean, there's a point, certainly, right? There's a point where he believes she's just has a break with reality. That's what I'm asking, what y'all? I think there's a point. Go ahead, Rick. I, I just, I think that it's another area where the movie is inconsistent because I think by the time he's like, oh, silly girl, there's no phantom, he's seen him too. 
right. unless I'm unless I'm rem- misremembering. No, because but... I'm I'm running that song through my head, and um, no, he says he says who is this man? This mask of death. So I guess he doesn't say technically he's a man, but it's like like it seems like he knows it's it's not a figment of her imagination, but I don't know. I to me once he said that she was like hearing voices and stuff I was like okay cool she, he thinks she's crazy or whatever here comes the gaslighting but yeah I I will I mean as I, I don't want to make excuses for Weber but as male love interests in this kind of show go Raul is better than most yeah um, you know, he does. He doesn't flat out say, "You're an idiot." Let's go. You know, he he lets her make her own choices, even when he doesn't right. agree with them. You know, it's the Phantom who's the who's you know who's the asshole <laughs> through all of this, and uh, you know, totally screwing with her head and grooming her and stuff. Which I just I'm I'm glad I didn't know the actress was 17 when I was watching that because that's so much yeah, worse. That's... Yeah. 17. I had no idea. They never say it. So, but the but the act, the Emmy uh, Emmy, what's her name? Rossum. Emmy Rossum. Emmy Rossum was seventeen when she was playing that movie, playing in that film, and she had kissing scenes with both Raul and the and Ick. <laughs> Gerard Butler was twice her age. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller had her first kiss at fourteen, which she yeah. was well, that doesn't make it right, though. <laughs> anyway. It doesn't make it right that her first kiss was on screen. <laughs> um, and my last comment about disability portrayals, about the, the whole Phantom persona himself, we get kind of a backstory on um, at least how he became the Phantom, not how he um, acquired the visible disability on his face. Um, I think it's implied that he was born that way. He makes some comment about his mother. But how he came to be the Phantom of the Opera was that he was basically in some um, circus sideshow as the devil's child. And, like, his handler or whoever just abused the crap out of him day after day. Like, just humiliating him and beating him within an inch of his life. Sorry. And so that's when he that's when he the phantom or the boy who will become the phantom um, strangles the handler and um, a young Madame Giri helps him escape. Um, but obviously, I mean, obviously, the the guy was a total abusive asshole. Um, but that may sideshows and freak shows were a very common and oftentimes the only way for disabled people to make money in those times. Now, clearly, he was not making any money. This dude was taking all of his money and then beating him, and that's not right at all. But that was just something I wanted to point out, that that was one of the few, if or only, viable employment options for people with Mm. visible disabilities during that time. But, um, yeah, I mean... It's hard, even even like two years ago, if somebody would have asked me about this movie, I'd be like, yeah, this weird 
losers like stalking he lives by himself all the time he like stalks these people he doesn't get out much and i'm like now i'm like i can see how isolation in these in these corona times i can see how isolation might drive somebody a little crazy now now more than ever now more than ever yeah (laughs) um you don't get to interact with many people like what he interacts with madame jerry maybe every once in a while yeah he can't directly interact with Christine for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he, once he lures her down to uh, down to his lair, and she like takes the mask off. Part of me is like, you know, there's there's like boundaries being being disregarded all over the place. First of all, he tricked her to come down there, and has been spying on her for a long time. Mm-hmm. So to me, she's within her rights to be like, okay, now I want to see who's been messing with me. But also that's like something that that is personal and private to him. And people don't have to disclose their disability to anyone they don't want to. But again, he kidnapped her. So he's a terrible person. It's a it's a weird it's it's a weird thing. Yeah, it's complicated. Um. I don't know. I, why do y'all think he didn't take his mask at the end? Do you think it's so people will know that he's still alive? Or do you think he was finally like, I can let this go now that Christine at least pretended to love me for five minutes? I honestly didn't notice he didn't take his mask. Because uh, so. well, Meg picks it up at the end and she like holds it all artfully towards the screen <laughs> so that we know, um, hey, look, here's the the cover for the movie. Yeah, well, I was look. just so happy the credits were coming up. So. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's what I'm getting. Here's what I'm super, super, super psyched for. Phantom 2. Let's. Okay. Oh, tell him. Tell him, Rick. Tell oh, him. Jeez. Okay. Wait, is is there something that's there, there is a sequel. It's called no. Love Never Dies. Oh, and God. in the history of my life in the theater, I have never heard a play more reviled, more <laughs> despised, more ridiculed. Um I kept, you know, after we watched The Phantom, we were like, "All right, what play are they going to put on next?" Uh, you know, for the for the Friday night, uh, uh you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber. No, they did. <laughs> The next one was Love Never Dies, and I'm like, there is yeah. no way in hell I'm watching that. Oh my god! Um, and and then uh, after that, I think you know they kind of stopped, <laughs> and wow. then they just started doing concerts and stuff. Um, it is, by all accounts, one of the worst theatrical thing uh, creations ever made. Wow. And was I would it, say that was it done since, by Andrew Lloyd Webber, or was it like one of the ripoff spin uh, ripoff sequels or something? Pretty sure, no. It it had to have been Webber, or it wouldn't have been on that uh, the the the, mm. the show must go on series. Oh right. Um, We're not looking at a Jaws two situation. <laughs> no. Let me look it up here and see. Uh, oh, there's a world tour. It's a. Uh, the Phantom returns in Andrew Lloyd Webber's spellbinding follow-up musical to the greatest love story ever told. Oh my God! Uh, that, that don't don't hype it like that. <laughs> well, even Phantom of the Opera isn't the greatest love story ever told. No. I mean, if you want to talk about the love story between Christine and Raúl, maybe, and, but not even then. But and I even, think and even then, her, to think of the Phantom, which you no. know, s- spoiler alert: she dies off stage. 
and there's absolutely no reason for it other than so Raul can go to her gravestone and see that the phantom left a, a rose there too. With the ring, so we would know that it was the phantom. Uh, let me see. According to Wikipedia, uh, although Weber began working on Love Never Dies in 1990, it wasn't until 2007 that he began writing the music. The show opened in London in March 2010. Uh, oh, wow. Did... So it's real recent. Yeah. It closed for four days in November for substantial rewrites. <laughs> and, uh, lots of confidence. Uh, the original London production received mostly negative reviews, but a sub- subsequent Australian production featuring an entirely new design team and heavy re- revisions was generally better received, although the show finally closed with heavily discounted tickets. <laughs> wow. A planned Broadway production, which was to have opened simultaneously with the West End run, was canceled. That, wow. If Lloyd we- Andrew Lloyd Webber cannot... By the just by his name alone, open a show on Broadway, you know it's got to be terrible. Now, I'm terribly interested now. I'm very interested. <laughs> like, is it gonna be like, is it like the room? Like, the work, you know, is it like Plan 9 from Out of Space? Bat? I want to see this. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I'm just kind of scanning over the story here in Wikipedia because I'm, you know, I'm I'm not really reading it. But this, okay. <laughs> the sequel was delayed because Lloyd Webber's six-month-old kitten Otto, a rare breed Turkish van, climbed onto Lloyd Webber's Clavinova digital piano and managed to delete the entire score. <laughs> oh my god, I would be so mad. That's so. Funny. I mean. Kudos to the cat. Maybe the but... cat's from the future and was trying to erase this terrible thing from the earth. There's My your plan God. nine from outer space right there. You can't back that shit up <laughs> some way. I mean, I don't know the particular device in question, but has anything been invented that you could save stuff on that didn't have a are you sure function? <laughs> Well, there's automatic, you know, there's automatic backups, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, you generally you can't delete it without making, you know, telling it two or three oh, times. Oh, yes, yeah. delete yeah, yeah. it. Oh, oh, right, right. I see what you're saying. That cat just yeah. didn't give a single Maybe damn. It was, there are powerful computers where it's just like, you tell me when and everything blows up. <laughs> but then you just have to play tic-tac-toe with it and it gives up. <laughs> Wow, we're getting way off track. <laughs> so, um, was there any disability portrayal items y'all wanted to talk about? No. I did. I I, I noticed, not on purpose. It wasn't like it. it I went, hmm, nicely done. It just, I noticed that when, you know, when they were putting old Raul in his wheelchair, you know, there was, there was no, uh, you know, they showed him. I don't know why I noticed, but I was like, oh, nice shoes. <laughs> they showed them, you know. <laughs> putting his feet into the into the little you know foot thingy on the wheelchair and stuff so yeah um, but you know and it wasn't shied away from or made to look like it was you know shameful or anything it was like here's this very well-dressed older man just getting into a wheelchair and and i i i don't know that it it particularly stood out to me as a moment of representation but i did notice i noticed it so maybe it was maybe you know kudos yeah and sometimes it is about that, like, just background sort of, hey, we're not going to draw attention to it, although they kind of did. But 
Um, it's just a thing that happens in the world, just like mm-hmm. disability. It's just a thing. Yep. Now, I do. I I was a bit disappointed, um, and I don't know if this is this ties into that or not. But his his when when we finally saw the the phantom with his mask off, the disfiguration, quote unquote, was really toned down. Yeah. From, from what we've seen in the stage play or even in previous movies. He looks and like I, he just fell asleep on like some some packing peanuts. Yeah, or didn't put on enough sunscreen or something. <laughs> just, he, it, you know, and, but then he's going on about how horrible he looks, and it's like you really don't look that bad, dude. You're and like I don't a know if movie that's, star. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I don't know if that was a matter of you know uh, just a design choice, or the actor didn't want to look too ugly, or. But, you know, the, the, the way he goes on about it, and it's supposed to be, you know, the, the driving force behind his his whole personality, uh, you know, I, I kind of think it sh- there should have been more there. Like a physical representation of the of the mental torture that he went through. Like, yeah, like yeah. show well, me that. Exactly. Exactly. And not 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 for any prurient reasons. Not like, oh, I want to sure. see this. You know, I don't right. I want him to look like toxic Avenger. It just. You know, when you take off the mask, it, he needs to be horrifying. Otherwise, none of it makes any sense. Right. And he wasn't horrifying. It was just like, you know, uh, you know, a couple couple days at a spa and you'll probably be fine. <laughs> Do they have aloe vera? <laughs> Did they figure that out yet? I wish we could have got a more substantial back uh, backstory on that. Like the the circus thing was was helpful. But like, I want to know more about like his family before that. But yeah, oh God, I don't, want, I don't want to have a prequel. No, let's not go down that road. No, no. <laughs> so Shane, are there any pop culture references you now understand besides by Phantom, by phone, or whatever? <laughs> not really. I did find that there were shades of. So one of my favorite movie is probably uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, and in some of those songs, there's def some of the like. Con- some of the contemplative songs like there's there's you know they're in the same family i think songs in phantom and songs in hmm. nightmare before christmas there's so a little think- bit of anyway I, it's not really a pop culture reference but i'm like it, i don't know it seems to be i, I can't imagine that it was there wasn't some influence there do you think Andrew Lloyd Webber and um, Danny Elfman are BFFs? I think they go drinking and they do <laughs> some crying together. That's what I think. Let's see. Anything else? I, there, there is one thing about the both the stage show and the movie that kind of puzzles me. And again, mm-hmm. it may just be because of, of uh, you know, what I do for a living. Um, I've been hearing about the Phantom Chandelier for ages. Mm-hmm. And in both productions the chandelier thing really is anticlimactic yeah well and it happens in two different places right uh well they're both in the opera house right well no it just just falls onto the stage but you know i i kind of thought it would be from from all that i've heard about the you know the 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 work that goes into making the chandelier gag uh you know the mm -hmm. the rigging and the and, and the pyrotechnics and stuff i thought that you know 
Christine was killed by the chandelier or some important character was nobody's killed by the chandelier just falls in the middle of the stage and everyone goes ah that's a good point it's not it's not it's like a it's like George Lucas was in charge of that like, <laughs> huh, I got an idea we'll just make the chandelier fall It'll be a really cool effect for no story reason at all um, but I, I think I've, I've I've pretty much said all I can <laughs> about this show. I'm done talking because I I already mentioned Star Wars, so <laughs> good. So y'all don't want to talk about how would the movie be different with today's technology? Like, do we want another one with today's technology? I don't know that it needs it. Well, okay, yeah. Sean's gonna yell at me because he's like, "Do you ever need a movie?" Um. <laughs> I don't think there was anything in this movie that suffered from a lack of tech. I think, I think um, the only thing that like both my wife and I didn't care for, because at first I thought it was cool. And then once we realized that the arms holding the torches were actually people like sticking their arms through the walls that, mm. that kind of pulled us out of it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I thought, Oh wow, cool. And then I realized, no, that's just people. Never mind, It's not that cool. No, I don't think there's anything in this film that suffered from wow, you could really tell this was 2004. So, I don't I don't know that doing it today, mm-hmm. not that they probably won't. Um I don't I don't see that anything that would change being done today. Uh well, I mean, they could dub the singing of the phantom. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not even Super amazing technology. Do y'all have anything else to discuss? I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so Rick, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Uh, you can usually find me uh, huddled under the bed in abject terror. Uh, but every now and then <laughs> I crawl out and get in front of a microphone. And you can hear what I have to say over at starbasecommand.net. Uh, where you can see, can see, you can hear. Well, you may be able to see it eventually. Starbase sixty six, uh, which is the uh, international Star Trek and genre fiction podcast, or Open the Iris, which is our Stargate SG one podcast, uh, or Analyzing Doctor Who, which is not my show, but I'm on it from time to time. Uh, which, funnily enough, is about Doctor Who. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. also, I'm on uh, Cosmic Potato and occasionally on Captain Game Show here on the Cosmic Potato Network. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. And, and you know, I love nothing more than telling people about how crappy movies are. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have you on for a movie you haven't seen. I think all the ones you've been on, you have seen the movies. Yes, I would I would love that. Mm. We'll think of something. Okay. So um, you can find us on a bunch of platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And we're also on the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network at CosmicPotatoNetwork.com. And you can find a lot of other great shows there like the ones that Rick mentioned. So check that out. And as for us, you can just go to WaitYouNeverSeen.com to find links, social media, and contact information. Leave us some feedback and let us know if you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows that we should watch. That's our show for today. Next time we will be watching Ed Wood. I'm so happy. I like that movie. Yeah. You think it takes talent to play Frankenstein? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Keep your hand at the level of your eyes. That's another thing that was more emphasized in the earlier movies what the keep your hand at the level of your eyes yes because 
there was a lot of, you know, the phantom hiding above people and then dropping a noose around their neck and yanking them up. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd get those songs out of my head, not back in my head. 